Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 321 with Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Do you find that you spend much of your workday in meetings? Yes, most of us do. Well, Mamie is going deep into what makes meetings effective versus ineffective, how to decline them masterfully. So useful, could save you many, many hours over the course of your work life. So you'll learn one, how to decline a meeting so well, they may just thank you for doing so. Two, ideal alternatives to meetings. And three, best practices for achieving your expected outcome in meetings. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F321. Now here's Mamie's story. Mamie Canfor-Stewart is the author of Momentum, creating effective, engaging, and enjoyable meetings. Her company, Meteor, helps teams and organizations build a healthy meeting culture. As a coach, speaker, writer, and trainer, Mamie has helped thousands of people improve their meetings and how they collaborate. Mamie has been featured in Forbes, Inc., and Fast Company. She's a regular contributor on The Price of Business and is the host of the Modern Manager Podcast. So thanks to Mamie for sharing some time with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Mamie. Mamie, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Pete. Well, I want to hear first and foremost about you do piano sing-alongs on a regular basis. What is the story here? Yeah, I love piano sing-along. When I grew up, so I grew up playing piano um, and I kind of played on and off, but in total, probably about 13 years of lessons. But I never quite like got into classical music and even jazz wasn't quite the thing for me, although I studied both for many years. And then about 10 years ago, we were on a family business trip and we were in a bar and one of our customers was playing the piano and everyone was singing along. And I was just watching the scene. I was in my mid twenties at the time. And I was like, I want to be that person at the piano. I want to create this environment for other people. That looks like so much fun. So I went home from that trip and I started playing again and I play using guitar chords. So I use lyrics with guitar chords and I can figure out the melody in my right hand. I took enough lessons that the piano is a really intuitive instrument for me. And now I basically only play pop songs and the whole family gets together and we do it for parties. We'll do it just hanging around the house with my kids and my cousins and my nieces and nephews. And we just went on another family business trip a couple weeks ago and we did it on the business trip. And my, it was really fun watching my dad because he was so proud of me. And it was really fun to be there with all of our customers again. And I was actually that person at the piano making the music happen. Oh, that's great. Well, it just sounds so wholesome in terms of family fun, as opposed to everyone's, you know, on their iPad zoning out <laughs> in their own little worlds. Yeah. It's really incredible when people come together like that. And I used to hate the piano because it felt like such a solo instrument to me. It's always tucked in the corner and you can't take it with you and sit around a bonfire. And so for a long time, I didn't like it as the instrument that I was good at. And I really wanted to learn guitar, which I since have, but I actually play a lot more piano than guitar because the power of the piano to bring people together to sing like that is just amazing. And it's so fun when everybody's crowded around and leaning over my shoulder and screaming out what songs they want next. And it's it's just, yeah, it's a lot of fun and fun for all ages. Oh, that's, well, it sounds like an effective meeting, if I may. How's that for a segue? Huh? Huh? <laughs> nice. <laughs> so you've got a company, Meteor, 
clever name, like Meteor with two E's before the first T, Meet Eor. So what's it all about? So Meteor is all about meetings, obviously. And we used to be a technology company, and now we are more of a training and coaching and consulting company. So we focus primarily on helping organizations and teams build effective meeting practices. And we do that by offering trainings and courses and workshops and through coaching. So we work with a lot of teams to help them think about their collaboration practices from a broader perspective of which meetings is one of them, but then really thinking about what are the kinds of meetings that you're having and how do you implement those effective meeting practices? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Well, so I, I want to touch that point right there. You said you were a technology company and so you were doing software and now you're not. So maybe we could just quickly, you know, hit that point. Sort of what's what's your take on the the pros, cons, limitations of and, and what's available when it comes to meeting apps? So I love technology. I am not a technologist. I don't know how to code. I tried it once and it was not for me. But I really believe in the power of technology to help us do our best work. And when it comes to meetings, When you have to plan an agenda and you need to take notes and you want that information to be available in lots of different places to all the different stakeholders who need to be informed of meetings outcomes, technology is wonderful. So it can simplify and streamline your process, right? Wonderful things. And there are quite a few good meeting apps that exist right now. So a couple of them, if people are interested, B-Note is a great one, Um, Instant Agenda, Lucid Meetings, uh, Wisembly Jam. There's a whole bunch out there and they're all different. They all have a, a unique kind of perspective. Some of them feel a bit more corporate. Some of them feel a bit more kind of cool and hip. Some of them have more structure where they help you build an agenda using the, the different buckets that you need to think through. Some of them are more free flow. So it's they're kind of all over the place, but it's really about what you need to integrate with your own technology and what you need as a meeting planner or participant to get the most out of your meetings. Right. You, you know, I was just imagining, and this maybe exists, so you tell me, that it would be interesting in, in a meeting, because I've been there, it was just like, this particular content is not at all relevant to me in any way, shape, or form. And so in a way, it's as though this segment of the meeting I could just not be at. And so I, I thought it would be interesting if there was maybe like a like a live slider on an app that you could just sort of move from 0% to 100%, like this is relevant and I'm into this versus not at all. And and so I guess you'd need to maybe have that in a dedicated device or something not full of other distractions, which would, you know, cause its own set of problems. But tell me, Mamie, does that exist? Uh, not that I know of, although I'm wondering if the reason it doesn't exist is because everybody would always be on that this isn't relevant for me. <laughs> well, well, but I think that's valuable information, especially if, if, you're, if you're taking seriously the cost of your meetings and saying, oh, okay, duly noted, let's, let's have fewer people in these meetings. So yeah, I guess they, they don't want to hear the, the hard truth. I'm a boring presenter and or uh, <laughs> I have convened a meeting that is wasting everybody's time. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's often how we see it is it's never my meeting that's the terrible one. It's the meeting I have to go Ooh. to that's so bad. Mm. Yeah. There we go. Which Look in one, the mirror. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's one <laughs> of the things that it's the reason we work with teams because it's really everybody's responsibility to have an effective meeting. So if you should go to a meeting that you shouldn't be at, that's on you too. It's not just, you know, oh, what was me? I was invited to a meeting. I have to show up. And if you're planning a meeting, you know, you're, you got to be on it too. You got to be thinking a lot about who are the right people. And there are many practices and none of this is rocket science, but there are clear steps you can walk through to figure out 
is the meeting the right next step and who should be there? Okay. Now, now your book Momentum covers a number of these principles. Maybe first and foremost, we'll set a little bit of the why or the stage in terms of, you know, to what extent are our poor meetings just terribly destructive and sabotaging, you know, companies and organizations efficiencies? My hunch is it's the answer is a lot, but if you could maybe contextualize that and, and to see, is it just a, a a little bit, a lot, or a lot, a lot, a lot? Well, the problems with meetings are quite vast and really varied. So they are costing people their energy, right? Everybody has been to a meeting and you walk out of it and you're like feeling so drained and frustrated. It was a waste of time. You have so many other things to do. Now you're going to have to work late. Like that is a real cost on people and it's a cost for the company. And we can't always quantify that but I'd say it's a cost in lost productivity and it's definitely a cost in engagement, which companies are thinking a lot about. How do we increase employee engagement? And the number of engagement right now are very low. It's something in like the 20s or 30% of employees who report being engaged at work. And when you're going to five, 10, 20, 30 meetings a week, that has a big impact on how you feel about the company and the work that you're doing. So that's one form. Another form is around the finances. So if you're thinking about it from the value of, of, that you're paying your people to be there, if you have a five-person meeting and each person is being paid 50 bucks an hour, that's a $250 meeting. And most of us don't think about meetings that way, but every hour you spend, it's not just one hour, it's actually five man hours if there's five people. And that, like that again, it, it can trickle down to the bottom line and it can be uh, quantified in finance. And there's some online tools. If you just search like cost of meetings, you'll find different calculators to help you figure out how much our meetings actually costing you financially. Yes. And I guess under my own business, I think about every hour of myself in this way. And so it really does. <laughs> if I'm in a, if I'm in a terrible meeting, uh, you know, I, I try to be a nice guy, but it, it, it's, I feel it. It's like, you are stealing money from me right now. <laughs> you know, in the terms of uh, there are, are so many, you know, value creating things I could be doing in, in these minutes other than this. And, and, and so I, I don't know, I, I've, I've yet to just exit like a board mission, like I'm out eject ejector seat. I'm out of here, but maybe that's the right answer. So, so, so tell us about, about a little bit of that when it comes to, you say there's a number of tools when it comes to determining who should be at the meeting and should you be at the meeting or is it to begin with maybe is the meeting even the appropriate choice for, for what we're, we're trying to accomplish here? All right. So we'll start at the beginning. So if you're planning a meeting, the first thing you want to do is figure out the desired outcome for that meeting. And we call it a desired outcome because it really is the outcome or the result that the meeting is going to achieve not the activity the meeting is going to be doing. So we often think about meetings by asking ourselves the question, why are we having this meeting? And it's kind of natural to answer, to discuss, to brainstorm, to consider, to problem solve. And those are all wonderful things to do in the meeting, but they're not outcomes. So at the end of the meeting, if you ask yourself, did we achieve our brainstorm? Did we achieve some problem solving? Yeah, you can say that we had a great discussion and yeah, we dug in and we thought about solutions and we problem solved, but that doesn't tell you if it was a productive meeting. It doesn't actually tell you what the meeting achieved and whether or not that helped move work forward. So we focus on a desired outcome and we ask the question at the end of this meeting, what will you have achieved? What will be there? It'll be something like a list of potential ideas for further investigation or a decision that's that's made and agreed upon or a plan for the next three months with clear metrics for success. 
or alignment on this complicated information that we need to have a shared agreement on how to move forward. It can be written in many, you know, millions of different ways, depending on what the meeting needs to accomplish, but you're focusing on that outcome. (laughs) I think my least favorite outcome that I've heard for a meeting is um, to just kind of see where we're at. (laughs) And, you know, and I suppose maybe there's a kernel of of something that's workable into a, a valid outcome there in terms of, like you said, like we need to have an understand, we truly do need to have understanding of, of who is doing what and, and where it stands in order to, you know, come up with, I guess the true outcome would be, you know, the plan going forward or a elimination of, of redundant efforts, you know, would be the success for that meeting. Yes. And that does happen on occasion. We say meetings that are about sharing information usually aren't meant to be meeting. So there's lots of different ways and alternatives to meeting. So we can talk about those for a minute, right? You can send an email. If it's just, you know, here's some information you all need to know. Here's an email that explains it. If you need people's input on something, but you don't actually need them to interact together, you can write up a memo or have a shared document of some sort, put it online and ask for people to give input and they can leave comments and edits and ask questions, but they can do it on their own time and you don't have to bring them together in a room to do that. You can also use chatting tools or other different forms. And even an alternative to a group meeting is lots of small one-on-one meetings. So instead of me bringing five people together and taking an hour for the six of us to meet, I could go around and have a one-on-one with each of those people and spend you know, 10 minutes with five people. I'm still spending 50 minutes of my time, but they're only dedicating 10 minutes to me. So I've saved them 50 minutes because I went one-on-one because I didn't really need them all to be in the room together. I just needed to get their input on something. And it was, you know, maybe too complicated to send in a document or maybe it's, you know, too important. And I really want to make sure that they understand what it is I'm sending. And I I want to talk to them face-to-face. So there's lots of ways to communicate besides meetings. So I love that. Those, those many alternatives to meetings. And, and another one I'm thinking about is just a, a survey, you know, in terms of I need your input. Maybe you're commenting on the document or maybe you're just kind of filling out a survey with its uh, SurveyMonkey or Google Forms or Typeform, which I think is so cool, is, is are handy ways to collect that. And, but what really blew my mind there is that that one-on-one approach, not only mathematically is that saving huge cost in terms of everyone together versus one at a time. But it's, it's also, in, in many circumstances, likely to improve the, the input that you're collecting because people are not sort of censoring themselves, like, uh-oh, I don't want to offend you know, these other four people in the room by, by stepping on their toes or, or making them think that I, I thought that their work was lame or, or that I'm questioning their judgment or, or their smarts or you know, whatever. So, so you could not only save time, but even get superior input and build better relationships all by in one fell swoop, but by having multiple sort of one-on-one meetings versus the the longer group meeting. That's huge. Absolutely. And many times it's even easier to schedule because finding an hour for everyone to overlap can be really hard, but finding 10 minutes with each person, especially if you're using a tool like Mixmax or Calendly or a couple other scheduling tools where you just send them your link and they grab 10 or 15 minutes on your calendar, it is so much easier to get those you know 10 or 15 minutes with people individually than trying to find that hour where you all overlap. Oh, I love it. Well, so then let's let's cover the 
that we talked about when a meeting is appropriate and there are alternatives to the meeting to achieve those aims. Yeah, I'd love to get your take if, if we're on the receiving end of a meeting request and you're having a, a heck of a time seeing how that is helpful for you to be there, or, or even it's maybe slightly helpful, but kind of uh, way down low on your priority list compared to the other sort of much more compelling things for adding value for the organization or achieving the, the key goals, et cetera. You know, how do you do that dance in which you are declining a meeting, you know, particularly if it comes from someone with, you know, higher, you know, power or authority or, or title in the organization? It, it, it seems like it may not be the right answer to say, nah, I'm out. <laughs> I wish we could do that, but no, most of us can't do that. There are a bunch of different ways you can approach it. So first is if you don't know what the meeting is about and what the meeting is meant to achieve or why you were asked to be there, you should absolutely ask. And it is totally okay to say, I would really like to make sure that I'm prepared for this meeting. I'm not hundred percent sure what what I can do to be ready or what value or why you've asked me to attend or what perspective you want me to bring or I really want to be ready for this meeting. Can you tell me what the meeting is going to achieve so that I can make sure I have all the information ahead of time or anything else I need to be prepared for? So basically making yourself look like a wonderful employee who's saying, I want to make sure that this is a good use of your time as the meeting leader. What can I do to prepare? Can you give me more information about this meeting? So that's one approach. On the same token, you can also offer, this is my understanding of what this meeting is about. Am I understanding this correctly? So it's my understanding that this meeting is going to be planning for the next quarter and you know making some decisions about budget allocation. Is that correct? And if yes, is there anything I need to be doing to prepare for that? So if if you want to offer something up, you can say here's here's an idea of what this meeting might be about. Is that correct? So that's one way. If you're not comfortable going directly to the meeting leader for any reason, you can, especially if it's not your boss, if it's, you know, maybe from a different department or another colleague and you just don't feel like you can, they're going to be receptive to that. If you can go to your manager, and again, even if it is the manager's meeting, you can still go to them with this perspective, which is, I was invited to this meeting and I have these other priorities that I know are really important to the team or the organization. Can you help me prioritize here? I'm not sure what is most important. Do you really need me to be in this meeting or do you think that this meeting is important or can you talk to the meeting leader because I'm really trying to balance all these things and I don't want to drop any balls? So again, you're now you're asking for help from your manager and you're saying, I want to do this all. It's not that I'm trying to get out of work. It's that I want to keep the quality of work high. I want to make sure that my priorities are aligned with the team or the organization's priorities as well. Oh, that's great. You say, hey, you know, what's the, you know, what's the goal? How can I be prepared? You know, what can I do to, to be in, in great shape for this? I have yet to have anyone come back and tell me that it didn't work. I think most most of the experiences I've had is hearing from people saying, once I came and I asked and I said, what is this meeting all about? Most managers who are calling meetings or most meeting leaders, they actually know what they want to accomplish. It's already in their head. It's why they called the meeting. It's just that they didn't communicate it. So it's not that they are are being thoughtless and like, oh, let's just have a meeting for the sake of it. They're, they have something in their head they want to do. They just haven't explained it or put it in writing or told anybody else. So they're most likely going to come back and say, oh, this meeting is about, you know, we're, we're going to talk about this customer and our strategy for, you know, how to handle them. And then you can have another conversation. If you realize, if you're thinking, mm, you know, I don't know that I need to be in this conversation, that's a different conversation because you can say, now I know what this meeting is about and 
you know, I'm not 100% sure that you need me for this meeting. I have a lot on my plates. Is there something I can provide ahead of time? You know, any information I can share ahead of time about this client or whatever the meeting's about? And you can also let them know if I don't attend, I am aligned with whatever outcomes you guys decide on and I accept any tasks that you allocate to me. Now you have to be willing to go with that if you're going to say it, but you're basically trying to get out of the meeting by saying, I'm willing to go with the group and I'm willing to take on responsibility for whatever decisions are made. Okay. That's a nice one. I like it. Okay. So, and then I wonder, I'm wondering about sort of just large meetings in terms of the whole department or the whole company or the whole, the whole team in in terms of, I I think some folks have some, some bad habits when it comes to just sort of enjoying having, having everybody around uh, when it may not uh, particularly be value added. Uh, Sometimes I think there's some sort of emotional familial dimensions to the game. There's definitely like a thing about inviting lots of people to meetings as a way to build relationships. And I've seen this multiple times. A lot of teams use their kind of standing weekly meeting or their all department or all hands meetings as ways to build relationships and connection with each other and with the company rather than for whatever said purpose they're actually trying to achieve. Like, you know, they'll say, oh, this is, you know, it's our weekly meeting. We're going to go over what everybody's up to or we're going to report out the numbers. But really, they're only doing that because they're subconsciously trying to create a sense of connection between people or between the organization. And there are wonderful ways to make connection that don't involve bringing a bunch of people together to sit through really boring report outs. So I, I talked to a number of different teams who've tackled this in different ways. Some of them have started kind of after work get togethers. Some of them, you know, will go on a one day team building retreat and just have fun. Some will do lunch and learns. I love this one story about a company. They started a book club um, that was an opt-in. So you didn't have to read the book, but if you wanted to, you could, but anybody would show up if they, for uh, one lunch every month and you know, whoever had read however much, and then they just talked about it. And it was a chance for them to talk about something that wasn't work-related and get to know people in a different way. And they chose all kinds of books, fiction books, business books, uh, books on the future of work. I mean, all kinds of cool stuff. And sometimes only one person had read it and sometimes they all did. It just, it, but it didn't matter because it wasn't about the book. It was just about getting together and enjoying lunch and, you know, being humans. That's great is, is to provide superior alternatives that, that meet that objective you know, all the better uh, in, in a more fun, energizing sort of a way. I dig it. Well, okay. So enough about, you know, getting out of meetings. Uh, let, let's say one, a meeting is occurring. You know, what are sort of the, the key steps after you've identified the outcome you're after to really have some, some best practices and productive meetings flowing? All right. So you've identified that desired outcome and now you want to think about the structure of the meeting and who needs to be there. So for the structure of the meeting, there are a lot of different flows, right? What activities are you going to do? How much time do you need to allocate? Are you going to break people into small groups or is it always going to be one big discussion? Are you going to have any pre-material for people to consume so that when they come in, they're ready to jump into the content and you don't have to spend the first 20 minutes getting them up to speed? So there's a whole bunch of things you can do around structure and agenda that will help you make sure that the meeting achieves the desired outcome. But again, if you don't know the outcome, you can't really design an agenda to achieve it. So you got to start with that outcome. And then in terms of the people, it's the same thing. If you know what you're trying to achieve, you can think through who needs to be in this meeting to get to that outcome. And I've heard from multiple people that they'll have a wonderful conversation and they'll get to the end of the meeting and then they realize that the key decision maker isn't there. 
And so then they, they have to have another meeting with the key decision maker in which the key decision maker asks all the same questions and wants to go through all the same options that the group already discussed. So they basically have to have like a repeat of that meeting. And it's really unfortunate because if they had, if the meeting leader had been really thoughtful about who needs to be in this meeting to get to that outcome, if you know the outcome is a decision and not a recommendation, then you want to make sure that you've invited the the, peop, the right people. And if some, and sometimes you do invite them and they decline, then you need to reschedule. If that key decision maker says, I can't make it to this meeting, because usually they're upper management and their schedules change and they get busy, don't have the meeting without them. It's okay to have a meeting without some people. And there are other people who are critical who need to be there. Yes. You know, I'm thinking back to, uh, to someone I know who, who mentioned in his career, he had a rule for his meetings, attendance, which was that he always insisted that there be a clear outcome and a decision maker present. And he just would walk out of meetings <laughs> if, uh, if those two criteria were not met, which is bold. So, but point well taken that if, if that's your objective, it is impossible to achieve some objectives without certain people there. So, so yeah, don't go there if, if you don't have the key people in the room. Yeah. And I've been to meetings. I've actually seen people walk out of meetings before because they realize it's not a good use of their time. And in some cultures that really will not fly. And in other cultures, it's totally acceptable. Even if it's never been done before, you have to know, you have to know the vibe of your people. You have to know the culture of your company and the, you know, the style of your team. But I've seen people say, you know what, this discussion is really interesting, but I'm realizing it's not actually very relevant to my work. So if this is the only topic we're going to cover for the remainder of the meeting, I'd actually just like to get back to my other work because I think, I don't really think you need me. And teams will be like, okay, that sounds fine. And sometimes they'll say, actually, no, there's another topic. Maybe we should flip the order and talk about that one now because you need to be here. And I've actually done that in meetings where I've said, I looked at the agenda and I've said, oh, the thing they really need me for isn't to like, the end of the meeting. So is it okay if I show up halfway through instead of starting at the beginning and sitting through the first half of the agenda that they don't need me for? That's good. Absolutely. Well, then I'd love to get your take then when you're in, your, in the heat of the meeting, what are some pro tips for, for keeping that conversation moving toward the outcome that you're trying to hit? This has got to be one of the hardest things is being in a meeting and watching it go off tracks and feeling like there's nothing I can do about it. We actually just wrote an article about this on our Meteor blog, so you can check it out there. But there are a couple of approaches and I want to reiterate, this isn't easy stuff. I was actually just in a meeting with about 20 people. I was not leading it and I was watching this debate unfold and it was really souring the energy of the room. And it was, it was painful to watch. And I really was just trying, like I was sending vibes to this one person being like, please stop talking. Please stop hammering on this. Like we really need to move on. And afterwards I was like, oh my gosh, I was totally that person who saw this meeting like crashing and I didn't do anything. And this is my business. I should, you know, be the first one to jump in. So, you know, I want to reiterate, this is not easy stuff, but there are things you can do. So some of the things that we recommend, and I, you know, coaches have to coach themselves too. So some of the things I recommend are one, asking a question. So questions open up thinking in a way that statements don't. So if you jump in and you're kind of interrupting and saying, it seems like this conversation has gone off track, you're, you're kind of asserting a judgment in a way that other people might respond with a like, stop interrupting us. Like we're having a, a conversation here. But if instead you ask a question like, I'm, I'm listening to what you're all saying and I'm trying to connect how this train of thought is going to help us achieve our outcome. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting we stop. I'm just trying to understand the connection. 
Now you're actually asking people to respond and say, oh, how is this helping us achieve our outcome? Oh, maybe it's not. Maybe we could table this for later. So you can use questions to guide a conversation. Another, another approach is to just you know, suggest that it get taken off the table right away. So this is what I wish I would have done. I wish I would have said in that meeting, this is a really important conversation that we're having right now. I don't think it's the most important conversation for this whole group to be having. I'm wondering if we could have a subgroup tackle this topic after the meeting ends or maybe next week when we can find time to get together. But I feel like we have a bunch of people in this room that, that this conversation isn't relevant for. And that's often what happens is when conversations go off track, it's maybe a few people who are interested in the topic and you start getting into the weeds, but it's actually not relevant for the whole group or it's not going to help you get to that outcome. And that conversation doesn't need to stop. It just doesn't need to happen right then. It needs to be taken offline for a different meeting or a different conversation. Lovely. Thank you. Well, and now any thoughts when it comes to doing the the capturing of the notes and the actions and, and the follow-up activities? Oh, yes. So nobody loves taking notes. At least I haven't met anybody who says they love taking notes. It's not a fun job. It often can feel very administrative. But taking good notes in a meeting is a really wonderful skill. And you can develop this skill by practicing. But even if you're not, you know, it's hard to like engage and take notes and maybe help facilitate and keep things on track. So, you know, it can be a lot for one person to do. So if you're not in that boat of, I want to learn to take good notes and it's going to be, you know, a thing that I do all the time is take meeting notes. Another approach that we recommend for teams is to take notes as a team. So during the course of the meeting, everybody is responsible for writing down key information. If you hear a decision that's made, write it down. You hear a next step that's called out, write it down. You hear a big idea or important information or something that's relevant for you, write it down. And at the end of the meeting, you reserve the last five minutes to do a wrap-up. And one person pulls up some sort of digital document, could be an email, could be a meeting tool that you're using, could be a Google Doc. It doesn't really matter. We just suggest that it be digital so it could be shared easily. And you type up the notes together. So you do a little round robin. You say, okay, who captured a decision? And or ask the group, what decisions did we make today? And people will call it out and one person types it up. And you build the notes together so that at the end of that five minutes, at the end of the meeting, you have now notes that everybody's agreed upon because they all sat there and built them together. And it's instantly shareable. So even people who weren't in the meeting can be informed of the meeting's outcomes. So if you were that person who opted out of the meeting because you didn't feel like it was you know, important for you to be there, but you actually do need to know what came out of the meeting, if there was a decision that made that affects your work, it can be instantly shared. I dig it. Thank you. Well, tell me, Mandy, any other you know key things you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Just that meetings can be really fun. You know, we have meetings that such a bad rap and it's not their fault. Meetings are really a wonderful way to come together and be with your peers and your people and build culture and move work forward. And it does take some effort. It does take some thinking, but that's why I wrote the book. And that's why my business exists because we can help people do it. It's not rocket science. You know, it takes a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of skill, and mostly a lot of effort, uh, you know, a willingness to say, I'm going to do something about this. I'm not going to let meetings, you know, get in my way anymore. I'm not going to let them be this big distraction. They're not a necessary evil of business and putting forth the effort to say, I'm going to change this. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something that you find inspiring? Yeah, so I have a piece of artwork that hangs in my office by fantastic artist Shannon Finnegan, and it's double-sided. And one side says, change is impossible, and the other side says, change is inevitable. 
And I love this. As soon as I saw it in the gallery, I was like, I have to have that because I find that that is kind of the constant state of being of feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, changing people's behavior, trying to impact how people work. You know, all of those things, it just feels impossible sometimes. Like our habits and our behaviors are so ingrained to who we are and how we think that it's impossible to change. And yet we're always changing. You know, we're never really static people. We're constantly learning and growing and evolving. And so this dynamic tension that exists within change is just something I love and think about a lot. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? So I've been thinking a lot about this when you sent that question. And I kind of came to two conclusions because I listen to a lot of audiobooks and I read a lot. And I love the Center for Creative Leadership. They do a lot of different research, but I just, I love their work. And it's not a particular study, but the research that's been done on the impact of sleep on productivity and how important it is to get healthy sleep and the diminishing returns that come from working long hours. You know, as an entrepreneur, you know, I started in the mindset of kind of like, oh, you have to, you know, work crazy hours and do everything you can to make this business succeed. And you need to, you know, drive your employees and get the most out of them. And I just like, that wasn't me. And it didn't really work for me. And when I started reading some of the research about the importance of sleep and work-life balance and all these things, like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I don't want to work 15 hours a day. I have two little kids and a husband who I love and I want to be with, and I'm not going to do that. And if I'm not doing it, I'm definitely not making my employees do it. All right. And how about a favorite book? For managers, I love the book Radical Candor. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's just, you know, I'm sure you've heard this one before. We had him on the show. Yeah, and she's wonderful. Um, but that's it's just a great book. I, I really love it. And for non-work-related stuff, I love the book Zero, The History of a Dangerous Idea. It's about the concept zero and the history of this idea within mathematics and kind of in life that there could be nothingness uh, and that there was a time where in math there wasn't a concept of zero because you couldn't have zero zero was not a tangible thing that you could have. You could have one, but you couldn't have zero. And once zero became part of the world, it opened up math in a phenomenal way. It allowed for negative numbers and imaginary numbers and all kinds of cool stuff that we didn't we didn't always have before that. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool? Well, I already said that I love technology and I love apps. So a couple of my favorites are uh, MixMax. I use it for my email and I use it for scheduling and just, it's a great tool. And I have an app on my phone called Forest, which allows me to grow a tree to keep me from using my phone. Now at work, I almost never use it because I don't get distracted by my phone at work. But when I'm at home with my kids, it's like, it's this horrible thing that I do because I'm just like, oh, I'm so bored playing dolls. I think I'm just going to get my phone out. So my kids now know and they will tell me like, mommy, let's play. Can you grow a tree? And I'll open up my phone and I will set a timer for the tree to grow in 30 minutes. And it basically, every time I open up my phone, it asks me if I want to kill my tree. Mm-hmm. And I say, no, I don't want to kill my tree. I want to play with my kids. And so I will put my phone back down. So it, it's a great, uh, great tool to keep you from being distracted by your phone. Oh, wow. And how about a favorite habit? I love habits. So one of my favorites is to make a checklist of what you want to get done every day. So sitting down every morning and whether you have a to-do list that you're pulling from or it's just all kept in your brain, however you keep yourself organized, being really intentional, just like with a meeting, know what it is that you want to achieve in that day and make a little checklist for yourself. 
Uh, it helps you stay focused. And that sense of satisfaction when you check everything off feels really good. And if you didn't get everything, you can even do a little mini reflection. So I'll often look and say, where did I get distracted? Or, you know, how did I under, like, you know, either underestimate or overestimate how much time something was going to take? And, and tell me, is there a particular number of things you have on this to-do list. Some people say the five most important things, the three most important things, the two most important things, or no more than two hours worth. Or How do you kind of gauge that? I'm not a fan of arbitrary rules. And the same thing happens with meetings. People say, oh, what about the like two pizza roll? You should never have more than X number of people or meetings should never be more than 20 minutes or whatever. I, I don't know. I don't subscribe to those things. I feel like arbitrary rules, maybe they're general rules of thumb that can help, but they don't actually get to the underlying problem. And so if you're being really intentional, it's not about how many things are on your to-do list. It's about what you have the capacity to do that day. So when I look at my calendar and I see, oh, I only have an hour of time today where I'm not in scheduled meetings. What am I going to do in that one hour? What's the biggest priority? And it might only be one thing. It might be writing the outline for my next episode that of The Modern Manager, or it might be working on the proposal for the client that I'm, I'm courting. If I have six hours available in a day, it's a totally different list. So it really just depends. And each activity takes a different amount of time. So you have to be thoughtful. You can't just, you know, I don't think it's it's helpful to just say, well, I'm going to pick three things to do because that might not be enough and it might be too many. Got it. And Mamie, tell me, is there a particular thing that when you're sharing your wisdom really seems to connect and resonate and, and get folks nodding and retweeting and quoting yourself back to you? Well, we talked about it a lot today, which was the desired outcome. That is definitely the number one thing that I talk about the number one thing I suggest people do. So if you're only going to do one thing after listening to the podcast, look at your calendar and for any meetings that you're planning, write a desired outcome. Or for any meetings that you're attending, ask yourself, what do I think the desired outcome is of this meeting? And if you're not clear, go ask someone about it. And Mamie, tell me, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? So you can find all my information on my website, which is mamieks.com, M-A-M-I-E, K s.com. So you can get my email there. You can find information on my book. You can find my Facebook and Twitter accounts, all that good stuff. All right. And do you have a final parting challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. So definitely do that desired outcome thing I just talked about. And secondly, it's kind of broad, but take ownership of your meetings, whether you're planning them or attending them, you have the responsibility and you have the capability to make them productive. So Stop looking at meetings as this necessary evil, this horrible thing that's going to waste your time and start looking at them as an opportunity to get work done. Okay. I love it. Mamie, thank you so much for taking this time and sharing the goods. I wish you and Momentum and Meteor all the success of the world. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I think Mamie had a really genius bit of scripting you might find yourself using verbatim. I'm willing to go with the group and I'm willing to take on responsibility with whatever decisions are made when you're declining a meeting. That's just a great way to slash through any and all resistance. I think you'll get a lot of people into that saying, oh, okay, fine, sure. All right, that works for me. And there you have it, meeting averted, if you didn't really need to be there. So, so helpful. Again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F321. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Michael Fortin. Speaking of bits of text you might want to use verbatim, Michael Fortin is a master of swipe files, if you will. 
a bit of a copywriting term, Michael Fortin has earned distinction and fame and legendary status as one of the most accomplished copywriters, people who write persuasive words, alive today. So pretty cool stuff. We're going to be chatting with Michael about how you can craft persuasive messaging whether that's written out in an email or spoken aloud so that folks are more likely to do what you want them to do. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 